Let us reopen our Bibles to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, and let us find, thus saith the Lord, in the rest of this verse. What if God, willing to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? And we will take up the other two verses of this sentence next Lord's Day, the Lord willing. What if God willing to show His wrath? I gave you, as we concluded our study earlier today, a list of examples of past wrath from God upon men. What future pouring out of His wrath on the wicked should you consider? to grasp this message in its fullness. Look at Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. And let me read a few verses there with you. Verse 43. This is yet to come wrath. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life, than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye, than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. You have read the words, the fire shall never be quenched in 43 and 44 and 45 and 46 and 48. Four times. This is a warning from God about eternal torment. Where the worm does not die, and you can make that worm anything you wish, whether it's the worm of your conscience eating at you for eternity, or whether it's the worm that's consuming itself on your corrupt body, and the fire that shall never be quenched as the burning in the valley of Hinnom in the Bible where every polluted thing was thrown to be consumed in a great trash dump. But the Lord wants you to know that it's serious enough that if your hand offends you by causing you to be tempted to sin, you ought to cut it off, or your foot, or your eye, because it's better to cut off a hand, foot, or to pluck out an eye than to have both hands, feet, or eyes to go into hellfire. And the point here is not bodily mutilation. It's denying yourself the temptations of the flesh that result in sin, which deserves the wrath of God in this place called the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Right. So it's future wrath. If we were to turn over to Luke 16, we would find there the rich man lifting up his eyes in hell and begging Abraham to send Lazarus to dip his finger into water 
that he might cool his parched tongue, for he's being tormented. The rich man wants one drop of water. You would think that Abraham and Lazarus, by the direction of God, could at least show him a little favor with one drop of water. But what is said in what is said instead is, "Son, thou in thy lifetime receivest all thy good things. Now Lazarus is comforted, and thou art tormented. That's the way it is." He had his drinks of water. He had his flagons of wine. He had his luxurious fare that he sumptuously enjoyed. But now it's time for him to be tormented. This is the Word of God. There's anger and wrath in a God that would create such a place and then hold men there and then describe there being a great gulf fixed between the two places so that none can pass from one side to the other. And I thank God for such a great gulf. Because if there was a way, I'd find a way to pass from heaven to hell by the depravity of my own flesh. But my flesh will be gone and there's a great gulf fixed and we shall be, as the Bible wants you to know, forever with the Lord. How angry is the face of Almighty God to cause those in Revelation chapter 6, great and small, to hide in caves and call for the earth to cover them from His face. How angry will He be to torment the followers of the beast day and night forever so that the smoke of their torment ascends up into heaven. How angry will he be to cast everyone whose name is not found written in the Lamb's book of life into the lake of fire forever? This is the second death. Revelation chapter 20. You have never been afraid at all like you will be if it's not for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The screams of the damned will be terrible if you'll read the book of the Revelation and see the responses that they have when the wrath of God reveals itself against men. And the wrath of God is coming. It's a day of wrath. It's coming wrath. And it will be poured out upon the wicked when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven in flaming fire with His mighty angels to take vengeance on all them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you do not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ with works to prove your faith sincere, the wrath of God abideth upon you. John 3.36 He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. If you lay hold of eternal life by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and back that up with obedience in your life, the wrath of God will never touch you because it touched Him instead of you. God intends for you to fear Him. Just as the Lord Jesus taught. Jesus taught and said to his apostles, Fear not them which kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. Fear him which after he hath killed, hath power to cast both body and soul into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. That's what the Bible teaches. So that's what we teach. A healthy dose of the fear of God as the Lord Jesus Christ described, is good for all of our souls. And we better have it. It's the beginning of wisdom and the beginning of knowledge. It opens to us the Word of God. It brings us to His feet. It humbles us. It brings us to beg for mercy. 
What if God willing to show his wrath? He is willing. He has shown his wrath. He will show his wrath. But it says more in Romans chapter 9. It says, what if God willing to make his power known? So there's a second thing he wants to do. He's angry and he's full of wrath against the wicked and he's going to show it. But he wants to make his power known. Jehovah God, the true God of the Bible, is willing, very willing, to make his power known on sinners. We want to consider two things about this expression, willing to make his power known. We want to consider God's power, and we want to consider the fact that he wants to make it known. We've just read about a man in the context, in verses 17 and 18, upon whom God wanted to make his power known. Look at what verse 17 told us. Romans 9.17, For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up. I am very willing for you to live and have an existence, and I have blessed your existence for this end, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. When you look at the life of Pharaoh, you would think that Moses throwing down his rod, and the rod becoming a serpent, and then Moses picking up that serpent by its tail and it becoming a rod again in his hand would be sufficient demonstration of the power of God. But that's not the kind of power that God is talking about here. That would just be a visual phenomenon. There's much more to God's power than that. That's His ability and His authority and His right to crush rebels. Power in the sense of destroying rebels, which he did to Pharaoh with ten plagues, beginning with all the water turning to blood and the place stank, and killing the firstborn in every home, and then drowning Pharaoh in the midst of the Red Sea. There's where he showed his power by taking a man who said, Who is the Lord that I should obey or serve him? And crushing him. I want to make my power known. It's not merely a demonstration of strength, but a demonstration of dominion over rebels. By its close connection to his wrath, which comes first in order, his power is for punishment in a context like this. It's much more than just visual phenomena. The Lord's been showing his power of visual phenomena since the creation. For 6,000 years you can go out at night and see his creation. Those stars greater than our suns twinkling as little dots of light in the sky because they are so far away from us. The orbits of the planets and the the purpose of our sun and the distance from the earth and our moon. What a beautiful moon we had last night. And all all it is is God's reflector in the sky for us to see that the sun is shining on the other part of the earth and leaving us a beautiful moon. The visual phenomena has been there. Oh, there's something else coming. It's not going to be just visual phenomena. They're going to feel it. They're going to know it. It's going to crush them. It's going to terrify them. It's going to sink them to the lowest hell. And the the smoke of their torment is going to ascend into heaven. Then his power will be known. They have blasphemed him. They have disregarded him and rebelled against him. They have violated his commandments. And he will have the last laugh upon them for eternity. 
And his laughter would ring through eternity about each of us if it were not for the Lord Jesus Christ intervening on our behalf. An illustration. Pharaoh gives us a perfect illustration of his power right in the context. Throwing the rod down and becoming a serpent was not nearly enough. There needed to be much, much more. There needed to be so much terror, pain, and trouble that the Egyptians took their gold and their silver and their precious things and shoved it on the Israelites and said, get out of here. Take everything we have. Just leave us because of the God that had come to the defense of Israel against them. What is more powerful? Was it the ten plagues? Was it the death of the firstborn? Was it the whole army being drowned in the Red Sea? Take your pick. Which do you like? Do you like the blood, the frogs, the lice, the flies, the pestilence, the boils, the hail, the locusts, the darkness, or the firstborn? He's going to make his power known like he already did in many ways in the life of Pharaoh. You know, the natural creation shows his eternal power, but they will not give him the glory, nor will they be thankful. But they worship and serve the creature instead. But God is going to show his power over them. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, which he is going to do, In the great day of judgment, when the wicked are cast into the lake of fire, what if that God, willing to do those two things, also was willing to endure with much long suffering the wicked that are going to get this outpouring of his wrath and his power until the great day of judgment? God is waiting until the great day of judgment. It's difficult and painful for God in some respects to wait for the eventual judgment of the wicked because his justice is crying out for it just like the martyrs underneath his altar and throne are crying out for it in Revelation 6, 9 through 11. They're crying out saying, How long? How long, O Lord, just and true, do we have to wait before you revenge us on them on the earth? Now as my preaching approaches their language... You might think I'm overstepping my bounds in preaching the Word of God, but look at how the martyrs talk in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. They're begging for it. How long are you going to wait? And he has a reason for waiting. He says, because there's some of your brethren that need to join you in the ranks of the martyrs. And as soon as they get here, and the last one checks in and is in my presence forever, we will get some vengeance on them on the earth is what the Bible tells us. His holy justice demands their punishment, but for his greater glory, he defers it till later. His kindness to sinners, sunshine. Look at this beautiful day. Rain. He sends it on the evil and the good. It testifies, it's a witness of his goodness. It's going to bring greater judgment on them for them not repenting because of it. There are several examples in the Bible of God's endurance and long-suffering. Do you know that in 1 Peter 3.20, it says the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. His long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. How long did 
Did it wait? Do you remember the number of years? 120 years. It took Noah a while to build the ark. But his long-suffering waited until he could get that ark built and get Noah's family into it safe and give the world 120 years to hear a preacher of righteousness tell them that the Creator of heaven and earth was not happy with their lifestyle. And then the rain came. And you cannot make it as graphic as it was. What happened at the local hospice when the rains came? What happened to those cripples in wheelchairs when the rain came? What happened to those who couldn't swim? Or should I say, what happened to those who could swim when the wrath of God fell? But the Bible tells us that his long-suffering waited Do you know why they were in Egypt for 215 years? The Bible tells us in Acts, I mean, Genesis chapter 15, excuse me, Genesis 15 and verse 16, God told Abraham that his seed would be sojourners in the land of Canaan and in the land of Egypt for 400 years because the wickedness of the Amorites was not yet full. God was waiting for the Amorites to commit a few more sins. Now, I'm sorry, but I believe everyone here knows this God. But do you know Him in truth and have you repented before Him? The devils know about this God. They know that the Son of God is the Holy One of God and He is going to assign them to eternal torment. They confessed it to His face when He was on earth. I just want you to think about what I said from Genesis 15. God told Abraham, your seed is going to sojourn in this land and in the land of Canaan, I mean in the land of Egypt, for 400 years because the wickedness of the Amorites is not yet full. I want the Amorites to commit a few more sins to mount up their responsibility and guilt before me so that when I send the Israelites in to annihilate them, man, woman, and sucking child, It's a perfectly appropriate. His long-suffering waited for the Jews to fill up their sins. Didn't Jesus tell the Jews of his generation, Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers because of their wickedness against the visitation of God and his Son, Jesus Christ. So the wrath was come upon them finally to the uttermost. They had killed the prophets, but God was going to bring to bear on them the guilt for all the holy blood shed on earth from the righteous Abel down to Zechariah the prophet because of his son, Jesus Christ. His long-suffering now waits for the martyrs, that the rest of the martyrs might be added to those that are already there. My brethren, God's long-suffering and God's goodness should lead you to repentance. Do you know why you're still alive? From a practical standpoint as the children of God, you are still alive because God is still allowing you to repent of any sins in your life. Second right. Peter chapter 3, twice, verse 9 and verse 15, the Apostle Peter says, knowing that the long-suffering of God is our salvation. Repent for any sins in your life. Do not foolishly presume because you haven't been judged by God yet that He's approving of your life. Romans 9.22 What if God, willing to show His wrath and to make His power known, 
endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. We have two more phrases. The vessels of wrath. The use of the word vessels here takes us back to verses 20 and 21. Verse 20, in the second half of the verse, shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? So we're talking about a thing that's being formed by a maker. And that thing questioning the maker by saying, Why did you make me this way? Then it's elaborated on in the 21st verse. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? Now there's one lump of clay, and that potter sits at his spinning wheel and takes some of that lump of clay, which in this case is humanity, and plops it on his spinning wheel, and as the divine creator potter, he makes vessels of dishonor. He makes ugly things, despicable things, abominable things to destroy. He can take that ugly thing off his spinning wheel and throw it against the wall. He can drop it back into a five-gallon pail of water and watch it dissolve. But he can also take from that same lump of clay and make something honorable. He can make something beautiful. And again, we're speaking about humanity here. We are not talking about fine china in mama's cabinet, though that is the metaphor, versus the porcelain pony in your bathroom. Both are made out of pottery. Both are vessels. One's a vessel of honor. One's a vessel of dishonor. So when we come to this little expression, vessels of wrath, the word vessel is taking us back up into verse 21 so that we recognize the apostle and the Holy Spirit has not left the metaphor of the potter and the clay. Even though he's talking about men, because he's going to say in verse 24, even us, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. There's a big lump of Jews and Gentiles. And he takes of that lump for some saved Jews. And he takes of that lump for some saved Gentiles. But not all the Jews and the Gentiles. Just the ones that he elected. This is personal. This is election. This is eternal. This is heaven. This is hell. There is no national privilege here or favor. This is our future standing with God as His children. And so He says, the vessels of wrath, and the word vessels takes us back to the maker of verse 20 and the potter of verse 21, and get down, brethren. And I should get down before this Holy One of God because He calls them vessels and He's dealing with men now. He was dealing with men. They are not all Israel which are of Israel. In Isaac shall thy seed be called. Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And even for this same purpose have I raised thee up. We have had Israel shown to us an election and a reprobation. We have seen the eight sons of Abraham. One elect, seven reprobate. Two twins. One elect, one reprobate. Pharaoh, reprobate. Brethren, this passage is horrible. Without verses 23 and 24 for us. The vessels of wrath. What if God? You want to question me as the potter? You want to question me as the maker? Remember, the what if is not asking a hypothetical. 
This is not what-if analysis, like when you're in a financial department. This is a declaration that what is only there to ask, what are you going to do about it? What if this is the way I have dealt with men, and this is the way that he has dealt with men? What are you going to do about it? It's the only reason the what is there in order to shut your mouth and leave us silent before the Almighty. He has been following this course of shutting our mouths since verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. And from there to this place, He is shutting our mouths that we do not have a right to question what He does. And of the same lump, And yes, for the sake of the jury who might be asking, but this is not really a place to ask nor for me to answer. We understand that lump to be fallen, sinful, wicked, rebel mankind. But out of that lump, he chooses to make some vessels of wrath. Now when it says vessels of wrath, this little phrase... Vessels of wrath does not mean that the vessels have wrath of their own. It means that the vessels are going to receive the wrath of God that is mentioned in the first half of this verse. They are the same persons that are in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3 where it says about the wicked and us being so much like them. It says, among whom we also all had our conversation in times past. In the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We, by the way we lived, apart from regeneration, were just like the others in the world. Those that weren't quickened, those that were not adopted, those that were not chosen, we were just like them. And what are they? They are children of wrath. That means they are children of the devil. They are children of this world, and the wrath of God is coming on them, for there is a day of wrath coming in which the children of wrath will feel the full measure of the wrath of God against their sins for eternity. And that's what vessels of wrath means. It not it does not mean that they were sinful vessels showing their wrath against friends, parents, and government like they shouldn't, though that is a character trait of the wicked. The wrath here is God's wrath upon these vessels. God has made something that verse 22 is describing, and they are vessels of wrath. They are the vessels of dishonor from the 21st verse. And the dishonorable end is that they are fitted to destruction. God is willing to show His wrath. This is not judgment of wrathful vessels. This is God's wrath judging vessels of dishonor made to be the recipients of His wrath, and they are fully worthy of that wrath. They have brought that wrath upon themselves. And if you do not believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ right now, the wrath of God abideth on you. And that belief on the Lord Jesus Christ is not mere mental assent. That is calling out on His name for mercy to save you and then rising to repent of your sins, cleaning out your life and following Him in obedience. John 3.36. It's the second or third time I've mentioned it. But this is the same as the children of wrath. Praise God, we were saved by electing grace and God's appointment. For God hath not appointed us to wrath. Like He's appointed them to wrath. This is 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's chapter 5 to the Thessalonians. 
in chapter 1, the apostle said about them, I see your... Forgot them. Thank you. Work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but empowered in the Holy Ghost and much assurance for what manner of men ye became because of our preaching and how ye turned from idols to serve the living and true God and await for His Son from heaven who hath saved us from the wrath to come. That's all in chapter 1. That's the testimony of the Thessalonians. And how were they the elect of God? Election is God's choice of them. So it says that in chapter 1, but in chapter 5 it is, For God hath not appointed us, us apostles and you Thessalonians, to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that an appointment's been made for you? You have a reservation. It's undefiled and fadeth not away. In heaven for you. And those of you that are given to introspective thoughts and thinking too much, you need to get yourself in the Word of God and saturate yourself with all the promises that are there and go back and listen to a series of messages that was preached for you. No fine line. Because it is not a fine line between the righteous and the wicked. It is a great gulf, the difference between the two. Over there on the side of the righteous, we find all kinds from Lot and Samson to Abraham and Paul, and somewhere you ought to be able to find yourself in the midst of them. I hope that it's closer to Abraham and Paul. But if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and gone running to Him, and do you love Him and the testimony of His Word, and do you love to sing His praise and to hear Him preached, in spite of the fact that your flesh hates everything that I just said, do you recognize that inside of you, God has put a new man that is created in righteousness and true holiness so that you live in a continual conflict between your good man, your new man, and your old man? You are saved. Right. He's made a reservation for you. Rejoice. Love Him. Call upon Him. Listen, the wicked can only talk about themselves. Lord, Lord, have not I. You just make sure that whenever you talk, it's Lord, Lord, you are the greatest. You are the best. You are good. You are kind. I love you. Make everything centered on Him instead of centered on you. And you will separate yourselves from the wicked in Matthew chapter 7. There's not a righteous man that's going to be surprised in the day of judgment. Those aren't righteous men. The work of faith. Has believing in the Bible changed your life? The labor of love. Do you do anything to serve your brethren because they wear the name of Christian? The patience of hope. Are you able to endure the negative things in your life because you know that God is your God and He has a heaven waiting for you? It's that simple. Make your calling and election sure. Those comments are over. Fitted to destruction. What if God, willing to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long-suffering, and that's what He's doing right now, the vessels of wrath. These are vessels that He formed, verse 20. These are vessels that the potter God made, verse 21, fitted to destruction. When the potter sat at the spinning wheel and made these vessels, He made them without hands. As Isaiah 45, 9 and 10 would say, fitted. 
The word fitted here is not the vessel fitting itself. That is from the rest of Scripture, and I do not like having to refer back to it, because if you really want the maximum value of the lesson of Romans 9.22, you will not be thinking about supralapsarian or sublapsarian thoughts. You will be thinking about the fact that there is a God in heaven that can choose to send your soul to hell, and His righteous law approves it well. But even in that, there's a hint that should comfort you about the doctrine we believe and teach in this church. The fitted is what the potter did with the clay. He fitted it to destruction. He fit it for dishonor. He fit it to be ugly. He fit it so that he could show wrath on it. He fit it because it's going to be a demonstration of his power. There is another vessel that is in the next verse, and it's the one we're going to get to next Lord's Day that is about us, that he fitted a very different way, not for destruction, but so that we might realize the riches of his glory throughout all eternity. They're vessels of mercy instead of vessels of dishonor. Instead of vessels of wrath. It's mercy. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And those vessels are in verse 23. In verse 22, it's in whom he will he hardeneth. And it's the ones he withholds his mercy from. And he pours his wrath out upon them. The choice of fitted here goes back to the metaphors at hand. Things formed in verse 20 and the potter making pottery in verse 21. And if you're asking, why did I say he hath no hands? It's because I'm referring to scripture which these Jews would have understood. Isaiah 45, 9 and 10. How can you say to a potter when he makes a, a, an image of a man and he has no hands, how can you, how can the clay complain to the potter, he hath no hands? That's why it's a what? Let all the earth be silent before him. Amen. Let all the inhabitants of the earth stand in awe of him. Right. Psalm 33. The apostle had just written by the Spirit that it was vessels God would pour his wrath upon. They're fitted to destruction. Things formed cannot question their former, and vessels of pottery cannot question the potter. A vessel can be fitted, designed, made, formed for a glorious and honorable end, or an inglorious and dishonorable end, and it is the dishonorable and inglorious that we are talking about in verse 22. They're vessels of wrath. God will pour out His wrath upon them. Salvation, no matter the supreme importance and sanctity of it, is by God's absolute prerogative. Having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ, unto himself, according to the good pleasure of his own will, in whom we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Ephesians 1, 5 and 11. Vessels of wrath are reprobate sinners to be judged Reprobate means they were rejected instead of being elected and chosen. They were chosen like a potter might for for destruction. God will have mercy and compassion on whom he will. 
and he will harden and judge whom he will. Embrace Proverbs 16.4. The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. Or, if you prefer Solomon's wording, I hope you prefer both, yea, even the wicked, for the day of evil, because they mean precisely the same thing. Jude wrote of their eternal ordination to condemnation. Did you like the words in Jude 1-4? Before of old. That's a long time ago. And you know that Enoch prophesied about those men and God's judgment upon them as early as the seventh from Adam. That the God of wrath was going to come from heaven with 10,000 of his saints and that's not you. Those are his sanctified ones. Those are his angels. As Second Thessalonians chapter 1 tells us, in flaming fire taking vengeance on all the ungodly for all their ungodly speeches and all the ungodly things they have done. Do you want to be out of that category? Then stop living an ungodly life and live a godly life by His grace and by His Spirit for His glory. Peter said that those who stumbled at the Lord Jesus Christ being disobedient were appointed to it. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 8. They've been planned and reserved and fitted for destruction from very early. Second Peter chapter 2 verses 3 and 9 as it describes the wicked. The wicked have a reservation made for them. Job knew this back in Job chapter 21. If you want to see Job write about it, look at Job 21. These are not new things. These are old things. I'm almost done. Job's defense included the wicked reserved for God's day of destructive wrath as he tried to defend himself against his three so-called friends. The wicked have a reservation made for them to be brought for destruction under God's wrath. Job chapter 21 And at verse 27, Behold, this is Job speaking, I know your thoughts and the devices which ye wrongfully imagine against me. Job 21, 28 now. For ye say, Where is the house of the prince? And where are the dwelling places of the wicked? Have ye not asked them that go by the way? And do ye not know their tokens? That the wicked is reserved to the day of destruction. Don't you know that, Job? They shall be brought forth to the day of wrath. Who shall declare his way to his face? And who shall repay him what he hath done? Yet shall he be brought to the grave, and shall remain in the tomb. The clods of the valley shall be sweet unto him, and every man shall draw after him, as there are innumerable before him. This is describing the wicked though you might not be able to go to the face of the wicked and tell them that they are wicked and stop them from their wickedness, there's a God in heaven who is able and He stops them by putting them down with the clods of the dirt. And there's been innumerable that are going to follow Him there and there's innumerable that have gone before Him there is what Job 21 is all about. You remember Psalm 49 where God, through the psalmist, appeals to the, the rich and tells them that no man can give to God a ransom for his brother. That he should still live forever and not see corruption. 
There is no way that they can get away from death and dying, including the second death, because God is going to bring His wrath upon these vessels that are fitted for destruction. They are reserved for destruction. Just like the devil and his angels are running around now under the long-suffering of God, but there's a day coming soon, and they knew it was a time for them to be assigned to eternal torment. Art thou coming to torment us before the time? They know the time. Do you know the time? No man can give to God by any means a ransom for his soul. For the redemption of their soul is precious and it ceaseth forever. The number of the elect is inviolate. You cannot add to it or take away from it. And it was shortened. It doesn't include all humanity. And it was precious. It cost the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have been saved. God shall deliver your soul from the power of the grave. Go read that psalm sometime. The whole psalm is one of horror about the rich in this world who name their lands after themselves and who see other men die like beasts and they themselves think that their lifestyle is just fine. There's one verse in there of comfort for you and me. God shall deliver my soul from the power of the grave for he shall receive. What a father. Is it worth worshiping God? I think so. I praise God for it. Of course, the wicked have fit themselves for destruction as well, because God said in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And they chose to eat, and they died. And we all die in that first Adam. But thanks be to God, there's a second Adam. Do you love him? Right. The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. I believe 2 Corinthians 7, 5.17 that says those words. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. is not eternal, and it's not legal, and it's not vital, and it's not final. It's practical. If you think you're in Jesus Christ because you sit in this church, or if you think you're in Jesus Christ because you have believed on him, or if you think you're in Jesus Christ because you've been baptized, you haven't done enough. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This, this gospel, this gospel should change our lives. Right. Sherry and I have sat together in the quiet solitude of our childless home and looked at each other while having devotions and said, we believe this. We've believed it for a long time. Why would we ever sin? I ask you. Why would we ever sin? Why have I ever sinned in the last 40 years of my life? It shows what a wicked rebel I am. It shows how disgusting and terrible my flesh is. And it shows that by nature, we are like the children of wrath, even as others. It's all of grace. It's all of grace. Because even when he is impressed, this kind of a message deep, on me, there have been times where I did not retain God in my knowledge. But he has. The Lord Jesus Christ always did those things that pleased his Father. And the Lord knoweth them that are his. Even when the faith of some get overthrown at times, praise God, the, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. My brethren, this is, this is Romans 9.22. What if? 
you that want to bark against God, what if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? What are you going to say about it? What are you going to do about it? And so the wicked are left in 922. And next Lord's Day, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Praise God. I love his word. I love him. Will you love him with me and serve him with me? And let's let old things pass away and all things become new, that we might make our calling and election sure, that we would not delight in this doctrine as a piece of intellectual knowledge that we have better than the world's religions and better than most Christians, but that we would be living epistles of changed lives, regenerated souls, blameless and harmless, the sons of God in this crooked and perverse nation among whom we shine as lights in the world. Amen and amen. And may God bless the preaching of his word.